You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Welcome to the Nerd Room, we talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number 52. We're discussing Catalyst, a Rogue One story. I'm one of your host, Tim. I'm Troy. We are 52 episodes in, man. This is our one-year anniversary celebratory episode. This is huge. It's the annual right here. Yes, yeah. I, I can't believe it. I, I was thinking back, and actually what I'm going to do here is I'm going to throw a quick clip in from our very first episode, the very first introduction, and you can see how much and how far our voices have at least come. So I'm going to dump that clip in right here. Hello, and welcome to the Nerd Room. I'm Tim. And I'm Sanjay. And here we are. This is episode one of our little passion project. We've been talking about doing this for, what, a year, two? At, le- at least, at least. I mean, it seems like every time we'd walk to the comic shop, we'd be like, hey, let's make our own podcast. And then <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite an interesting little clip, actually. It's, it's, it shows the distance that I think we've come with just our voices, with our equipment and all that. And it, it's been quite a year. It's been a journey, man, right? Yeah. This it's is something else. It's something that we kind of set off to do, and I didn't really know where it was going to go. And originally, I thought to myself, I just like to be the color commentator guy. I'll come in and out. I'll, you know, I was kind of like Seagull podcast, and I'll come in, shit all over everything, and then leave. <laughs> but it, it really turned into something that I really have a passion for now, and I really enjoy doing this every single week. We're so happy that we do have listeners that come back every single week to hear us talk about everything in the nerd world. Definitely appreciate everybody out there for tuning in on um, every Thursday and checking us out and also expanding your horizon and listening to uh, SW Rebels Alert. So that's always been great. So uh, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. Myself and Sanjay started this a year ago almost to the day, and we started dropping a few episodes here. We really didn't know what it was going to be, so we've tried different segments. We brought Troy in really early on. You're kind of like the Captain America (laughs) of this episode is that you show up in the fourth episode and then you've got kind of co-creator status now and so that's how i like to, to view troy here and you've been such a big part of this expanding from star wars rebels alert to putting things onto youtube and contributing for 45 straight episodes now troy is the iron man of the nerd room right now is ever since he started on the show consistently he has been here every single week Wow, just, that's just crazy. Just dropping it. Wow, well, thanks, guys. I, you know, it, it's awesome that you guys brought me out. And, you know, I love talking Star Wars and Marvel and DC and just movies in general with all you. And now that we've joined the Star Wars Commonwealth, too, it's even yeah. greater that we can talk more in this huge group of ours, right? Yeah, it's yeah. great. And we also want to thank, we've had quite a few guests on the podcast this past year, including Izzy Nobre, Wayne Elliott, Baron. We've also interviewed some great people, Brady Roberts, Jung Jang and Charles Soule. It's been a great year. I want to thank those guys for making the time, coming on the podcast, and talking to us about the nerd world, about Star Wars, about comic books, and all that movies. It's It's been great having other contributors to the show, and I look forward to, in 2017, having all those guys back, and having other people come on the show and talk about nerd with us. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And, and it's been great, too, you know, um, meeting the community more so. Um, shout out to Chris, Alpha Comics. You know, he's helped us a lot with DC. He yep. kind of spread a little bit of Batman over your way, so that's cool to get you a little bit to that DC universe. So again, it's that's what it's about, the community, right? It's exactly that. And touching on that, you could see from the start of our episode here, and if you tune into Star Wars Rebels Alert, 
you're very much aware that we have joined ranks with the Star Wars Commonwealth. And this is a growing podcast community that is just something that we kind of focused in on and we started listening to these guys' podcasts and we saw that they had created this really cool network. And it's something that we wanted to be a part of. So we started talking to all of them and we eventually have now joined the Commonwealth officially. And I, it's just so great. Like the podcast, like you guys go check these guys out. We got Generation X Wing, Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Skyhopper Podcast, and the Rogue Squadron Podcast. These are all fantastic podcasts. Like talking about Star Wars, different perspectives, and and just a lot of these guys, really funny guys, and really insightful theories and thoughts, and and everything towards Star Wars, and and not just Star Wars. There's a lot of other nerd talk in there as well. So it's it's really great to be part of such a. a good community and we've been talking with these guys lots lately and and the hype level is at an absolute fever pitch with rogue one right now amongst the community and it's gotten me that much more hype with just talking with people that have you know the same interest and you are as excited for you because as we sit here right now we're literally 48 hours out from sitting our asses in the seat and seeing Rogue One. Like, it's, it's, I'm so stoked about this. this. I'm so stoked to be part yeah. of the Star Wars Commonwealth. So make sure to go check everyone out in the web on iTunes. We'll put it in the description, all the other podcasts, and the link to the web, StarWarsCommonwealth.com, and find the rest of the shows. But yeah, just go check these guys out and watch this grow in 2017. This is still a fairly young podcast network. And just watch us grow in 2017. There's big things coming down the pipe, everyone. So keep your eye on the Star Wars Commonwealth. Yeah, for sure. Great co- uh, content coming out. And we got you covered for the whole week, basically, with the amount of uh, content that's being pumped. Yeah, especially yeah. this week in particular. Being yeah. Rogue One week, everyone's putting out multiple episodes, talking about Catalyst, talking about predictions, and speculating a bit, and just sharing our fandom with you guys so that you experience that same sort of fever pitch hype behind this film. Going forward for 2017, what is 2017 for the Nerd Room? We're doing a full facelift on absolutely everything. We're, we're looking into our logo. Troy's updating the YouTube page as we speak. Yep. We're, we're, you know, we've updated our equipment. You can see that or you can hear that from the last couple episodes. So we're really pleased with the way that's turning out. And we're looking at doing more things on the podcast, constantly evolving it. We're not satisfied with the stagnation or the status quo. We're going to continue to bring you guys different content and produce different things yeah, so I, you know, we're kind of phased into our, our all new, all different, yeah. and then the year after, we're maybe the Marvel now, you yeah. know, or whatever. So, <laughs> so try and keep up with this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep producing Star Wars content, even though Star Wars Rebels is going to come to an end at some point here yes. with the season, and we're gonna have the hiatus. We are taking a bit of a break until the holiday season is over, just to, for convenience sake. Mm-hmm. But going into the new year, whenever there's going to be a hiatus with Rebels, we're going to continue to produce that short form podcast. Star Wars content. So continue to focus in heavily on Star Wars while also having our Thursday Nerd Room podcast yep. you're listening to right now that concentrates a bit more on the broad spanning nerd news. Mm-hmm. And then concentrating a bit down on the MCU, where both of us are big fans of the MCU, and going to 2017 is the first year we're going to get three Marvel Cinematic movies. Huge. And they're building towards the end of this Infinity arc, this Phase 3, right? And it will be, as of December 16th, I believe, it will be 500 days until Infinity War drops in theaters on May 5th, 2018. So what we're going to do in anticipation of that, that's 16 months away, we're going to be doing a massive retrospective review of the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going into 2017, 2018. We're going to be doing... A single movie a month. We're going to start with Iron Man and go all the way to Black Panther and into Infinity War. So we're going to be taking each movie 
not including Civil War and Doctor Strange, because we have reviewed those. Yeah. But we're going to taking each movie and doing a retrospective review and going back and looking at these films and talking about them in a bit more depth and relating them to the larger arc and to what we're seeing develop into this overall Infinity arc from 2008 forward. So we're going to be dropping a single episode a month, a bonus episode, nice. outside of Star Wars Rebels Alert, outside of the Nerd Room podcast. And it's going to be our massive Avengers MCU retrospective movie review series. That's going to be a blast, man. It is, and we're really going to be concentrating, too, in the new year on a lot more comic book stuff. That's something that's lagged a bit on the podcast lately, Mm -hmm. but over the holiday season, we're committing to ourselves to kind of catch up on the comic books, and we're going back and look at a lot of Avengers comic books, too, with this kind of 500 Days of Avengers type idea here, is that we're going to be looking at some of the more significant stories going into Avengers Infinity War, and as we do these retrospective reviews, we're also going to talk about the comic books that influenced those particular movies. So we're going to give you guys a lot of MCU and a lot of comic book content going forward here. Can't wait, man. Sweet. 2017. Yeah, it's an exciting thing. So like you said, watch the Nerd Room, watch us evolve here. We're going to be producing a lot more content, a lot of different things, stepping into areas that we're maybe not particularly comfortable with right now, but we want to test different things like commentary, figure reviews, that type of thing. So Watch this space here. Watch the Star Wars Commonwealth. We're all evolving, and we're all constantly trying to produce the content that will keep the listeners engaged and keep you guys coming back every single week. And before we get into the Spider-Man trailer review, which is something huge here, we just want to thank the listeners one more time. It's been a year. We've had an absolute blast doing this. We're going to 2017. Like I said, we're going to constantly engaging you guys. We want you guys to be a part of the community. We're always looking for ideas thoughts theories and that type of thing but just again thank you very much for being listeners coming back every single week and growing this community around the nerd room podcast it's greatly appreciated guys we we do respect your uh, your thoughts and everything that goes into listening to these episodes and we gotta thank tim man tim right here he's he says i'm the captain america but he he holds it down here i guess you're the tony stark you could say <laughs> Um, you know so tim and sunjay man sunjay you're out there listening you know shout out to both of you guys because you guys held it down I put a lot of effort, and you know, at the editing is something else. I've I've tried it a little bit in this <laughs> podcast, and uh, it's 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 not easy, you know. So I definitely respect what you guys do and the work you guys put into this. And you know, uh, every member on this podcast do have kids too, so it's a lot of work, you know, watching and raising kids and yeah. spending time with your family, but still coming out to make it and uh, produce some cool quality content. Yeah, yeah. but much appreciated, man. Yeah, man. And and Sanjay, we have to give you a shout out there. Sanjay has decided to take a bit of a hiatus from mm-hmm. podcasting. He will be back from time to time to discuss i'm assuming dc films (laughs) your contributions here have been you know very much appreciated and you'll always be a co-creator of the nerd room and we always look forward to having you back on the show and hopefully sometime soon for sure so he's kind of like the hulk just kind of roaming around yeah exactly so we got the avengers going on sweet (laughs) speaking about the avengers yeah before we get into all of our catalyst talk we're going to run down the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer that dropped this past week. And what a trailer. Wow, this hit hard. Absolutely blew me away. And this is something that we had, and you had made a comment on this last week (laughs) that I bet you as soon as we drop this episode, they're going to drop the Homecoming trailer (laughs) because we talked and speculated about just basically on the scene descriptions from the Brazilian Comic-Con that they did show some of this footage at. Yeah. And we dropped the episode and literally almost to the hour, Jimmy Kimmel comes on and says, here's the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. (laughs) 
he has some kind of cool connection, eh? Because he gets all the exclusive trailers. ABC. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? You did mention that before, too. Yeah. That's right. So he's got cool. the, all the MCU trailers. He's got all the Star Wars trailers. Oh, man. <laughs> what a nice, nice life. Yeah, I know, right? How'd you get that gig? <laughs> But we're going to break down this trailer in a bit of detail here, and this is something that both Troy and I have been really looking forward to. We thought it was going to be attached to Rogue One. I'm happy that we got a bit before because this trailer just... I have the tendency here to... My mind just flips back and forth from Star Wars to Marvel with how excited I am about things. And I talked about last week that it would have been nice to see this trailer in the theater but i'm actually really happy that we got it here because i don't know what it would have done to me seeing particularly that last scene in the trailer i don't know what it would have done to me going into rogue one it would have got my hype level kind of to the wrong direction and then i would have had to kind of calm myself back down to settle in to watch a star wars movie that's a good point actually now that you bring that up i didn't think about that yeah so and i'm super stoked about this movie this looks absolutely incredible the scene description that we talked about last week was this kind of first-person Spider-Man with Happy Hogan, right? And because yes. we hadn't seen it, I didn't have an appreciation for what that scene actually was. Yes. It's kind of a strange scene, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so, you know, I um, I really had to pay attention to this uh, this trailer and then go online a little bit to kind of figure out what am I watching here, yeah. you know? So, but then, I don't know, I'm curious to know what is your your, your point of view of this trailer or that teaser, yeah, the teaser's funny because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is something they threw together as a joke yeah. for Comic-Con or for whatever because of the way that the camera flips on a Tom Holland there and he's talking to, to Happy Hogan and he's talking about the upgrade. And when he looks down, it looks like it might be the suit that he had pre-Civil War. Right, so his first one. Yeah, and yeah. so the upgrade that we speculated, oh, maybe it's the, the web wings yes. or some sort of Iron Spider, probably not the Iron Spider, but I think it might have been just his suit. Exactly. That he got in Civil War. Because this looks like something that may have happened before Civil War. That he has a GoPro on. You know, he's mm-hmm. a young guy or whatever. And it looks like, at least in the from what we got in Civil War, that he may have been wearing a GoPro sometimes. So, I don't know if it's a weird kind of first person thing. It it didn't feel like it was part of the movie. Yeah. So, I really don't know where it sits. Or if that was just purely done kind of like, almost like the Marvel one-shots and that. Just to, as an introduction or something to the character. So, I really don't know what all of that is about. Because it doesn't feel like it's part of that movie that's right and you know and some people is kind of cool they're bringing up the fact that maybe this is a flashback and maybe yeah. he's um it's, it's 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 during civil war and he's in the hotel like in germany and he's getting the costume yeah you know so that could that makes sense because you see that he's wearing the kind of a hoodie it yeah. doesn't really look like it's a fitted tight spandex suit no right but they play it off like you said like as if he's getting like the web wings right yeah yeah so yeah that was confusing and not right. having actually seen it we spec like we we're talking back and forth last week like <laughs> You know, this is the best we got. But now having seen it, it's probably exactly that. I don't know where it would sit in the movie Mm -hmm. or if it's part of the starting where it's kind of like, here's a bit of the evolution remind you that he was in Civil War. Everyone saw that movie, but maybe it's just a bit of like hitting on the cues. Because that's one thing that at the start of this trailer in particular, they really remind you that this movie is in the MCU, right? It's in your face. Yeah, definitely. With this, this initial bank robbery scene that we do here, and I really like it, and we do have the four <laughs> Avengers here, and I even like when Hulk stands up, he kind of stands up and throws his arms to the side, like That's he awesome. is the Hulk. <laughs> and But it's really hitting you on the head at the start of this trail that, guys, don't forget, this isn't the Spider-Man from two, three years ago. This is the brand new Spider-Man, the MCU Spider-Man, the one from Civil War. That's right. And you know, and it's funny you say that because immediately, as soon as I watched this scene, as soon as I've done this trailer, the the last five movies were erased. Like, yeah. I was like, uh, what's who's Sam Raimi and who's Mark Webb? Because I'm all <laughs> about Tom Holland's Spider-Man now. Oh, he's so yeah. good. He's got that just 
it's so ditko too a lot of it it's so ditko and they improved the eyes this time the yeah. eyes seem a little more fluid less um mechanical yeah and more kind of like deadpool the way they did the deadpool eyes how they move yeah. up and down right yeah and it's, it's interesting this this gun or whatever they're using to open up the atm machine do you think that's a chitari item like it's just the way the color of it, it's got that gold and it's got that purple hue to it it yeah. looks like a like a piece of chitari tech right as opposed to just the regular you yeah know. or like something that they've got from the vulture or whatever right yeah that's a good point actually i didn't even think about that yeah because yeah. there was that marvel one shot a couple years ago called item 47 and it was about two people that had gotten their hands on some ch- chitari tech and were running around robbing banks and that with it Oh, okay. So it's, it's very similar to this. So yeah. I, I don't. It seemed like there was a lot of these items that had kind of fallen out of the sky mm-hmm. post Avengers One, sitting in New York, and that criminals were getting their hands on it. And Shield was going around collecting these things, mm-hmm. but the fall of Shield, and I think it's it'd be kind of cool if they tied that in a bit. I think that would be cool. Nice. So and maybe you're going to see Shield reemerge here because they are starting to reemerge in the TV show. So it'd be interesting to see if they tie that in a bit. Probably not, but. Off topic there, but kind of not. Um, is there a Shield uh, miniseries now as well, or a web series? I was on IGN. I saw something about a, a Shield. Yeah, so one of the Inhumans that is goes by Slingshot. Okay. Um, she's also called Yo-Yo in the in the TV show right now. She she's an Inhuman. She's a agent mm-hmm. of Shield, kind of, and she's one of the part of the Inhumans task force. This kind of secret warriors thing that they kind of did, oh. but kind of really didn't do. Yeah. So it's full. Fo- I haven't watched it yet, but it's focused in on her. Okay. So she's a cool. pretty cool character. She's a well-liked character on the show. She pops in and out of this series once in a while. Mm-hmm. So I haven't watched the last two episodes here, the kind of the end of the Ghost Rider uh, story arc oh, okay. for now, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, they're going into this life model decoy storyline after the winter break. Classic Shield. Yes. Right. <laughs> and then with with this trailer, getting back to the trailer here, we jump into a John Hughes movie. Oh, definitely, right? <laughs> the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. So good. The music is spot on. I this love it. scene here with Tom Holland and his buddy here sitting at the table yeah. talking about the girl. Oh man, it's just so good. Like to both these actors are absolutely fantastic. Perfect. You believe their chemistry and this character, I mean, I don't know if he, it seems like this could be borrowing a little bit from the Miles Morales universe. I think and if it that is. could be gank. And if they if that's the case, then that's awesome. Yeah. I totally love them mixing that. Right? I think they're really going to pull heavily on the the Miles Morales, the Ultimate Universe, yes. for this portion of Peter for Parker, sure. kind of the high school thing, right? Yeah. And I, you know, there's some of these characters that do appear in older Spider-Man comic books that they're really leveraging on here, mm-hmm. and not going down the route of a Mary Jane, right? Exactly. Get Liz Allen, yeah. you know, who later marries um, uh, Osborne, yeah. right? So that, that's I love that. Yeah. Great stuff. And the pause here and the swing to Zendaya, who's a fantastic actress. Yes. And I just love the chemistry. Again, you feel across the table here just right. like she says you guys are losers and Tom Holland's reaction there is fantastic he kind of just throws his hand up like oh, I, I freaking love oh, man it's so good <laughs> it just captures the high school spirit too right and it does I guess this kind of rest assures that she's not Mary Jane that well, huge we, rumor we still don't, don't know don't really know I, I mean yeah they could really be changing the character completely I, she's a pretty strong actress she's a physical actress as well mm-hmm. so I don't know if they're going to develop her into something eventually down the line like a spider Gwen type character yeah I don't know. That's cool. I mean, or or even um, Silk. She's been a big hit too. Um, But again, it's cool that these are like actual kids. They actually look like they're in high school. This is the first time we've really had this in the Spider-Man universe. We do not have hulking men. Yeah, 35-year-olds going up hallways. Yeah, (laughs) 15-year-olds, right? It's like these look like high school students. Yeah. And then all these Tony Stark scenes. What are your thoughts on having Tony feature so heavily in this trailer? It's a little over the head. I, I... 
I didn't think they're gonna give us this much Tony, but it's cool that he's not in his Iron Man suit until yeah. the very end, obviously. But this scene here, where we first see Tony Stark in the trailer, they're in the limousine. I'm guessing limousine of some sort, yeah. and he goes in for that hug, and he's like, "No, no, I'm just going for the door." It's classic. It picks up right where they left, where he yeah. uh, visited him in uh, Aunt May's home, and that chemistry was just perfect. It's, it's I love it. Yeah, Tom Holland really holds his own with yes. Robert Downey Jr. here. They have a really good give and take that, yeah, like you said, picks up from Civil War. Yeah. And my fear is a bit with the Tony Stark scenes that they've, they've put in here. And again, this comes back to this idea that they're really reminding you that Iron Man's in this, Tony Stark, whomever, like whatever aspect, because you do see both here. Yeah. But we are in the MCU. Robert Downey Jr. is here, guys. Don't yeah. forget about that. My fear is that they've stuck in the majority of the scenes. I don't know how heavily he's going to feature in this movie. My guess is kind of glorified cameos here and there yeah. acting as the mentor but i think towards the end of the movie we i don't really know how his capacity here so i'm afraid that they've stuck a lot of his scenes which are really good scenes yeah. into this trailer to remind people and maybe you have to do that to, to kind of get to your general audience to to remind them again oh yeah spider-man was in civil war yeah yeah he's in the mcu now yeah that's right so, yeah, I just hope they just don't, uh, you know, give us too much of his good scenes like you're saying, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is another one of these trailers. I said it last week about Guardians of the Galaxy is that I think I'm pretty much done watching these trailers because yeah. I don't want to see any more. This has satisfied me as far as the fact that I think this is going to be a great movie. The chemistry I'm seeing here, the characters that are involved here, this is almost enough for me. And we're, oh, yeah. like, we're a minute into the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just sold. You know, I think everybody's reaction is pretty much the same. They, they love this trailer. They're yeah. on board. Right, Marvel, huh? Marvel, yeah, Marvel, I, and Sony, I guess too. Sony, Sony, they, uh, they, they're cooperating. <laughs> yeah, they're cooperating. I don't see really many fingerprints of Sony all over. This is this screams Marvel Studios. For Cut sure. this trailer, cast everyone, the story, all that. Yeah. This it screams Marvel Studios. Yeah. Like I don't know how much other than cunning checks that Sony had. Uh, involvement in this yeah i basically get the feeling it's like uh kevin feige's like um avia rod just take a seat yeah. and just let me produce this thing you yeah. know just collect the money when it comes in <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're back in high school we got a little flash there there's a mural in the background oh, and yeah. you do see um tony stark's dad yeah right and there's also actually up on the wall there a picture of bruce banner too that's right in the classroom yeah yeah so it's it's really cool that they're again referencing a lot of these MCU figures, right? Directly. And some of these are indirectly. And then we got him watching the scene on YouTube here of him fighting Giant Man at the airport. Oh. And so you can see him struggling with this. And Tony Stark talks a bit on the a bit of the um the narration is that he knows that school sucks, but he's he's not an Avenger yet. Because that's one thing that he talked about Tony in the limousine was is there trials, is there a test? How do I become an Avenger? And Tony's like, No, no, no. Like, you got to stay in school, man. Like, yeah. you got to do your thing, and you leave it to the big boys to save the world, and we'll call you when we need you type thing, Exactly. Right? Kind of like you do, like, the Netflix stuff. Yeah. Right? And he seems to be really struggling with that aspect, that the fact that Tony's treating him like a kid, and his friend aptly points out, you are a kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this scene here, too, when he's looking back at the Civil War stuff, it makes sense, right? Because, like, what kid, what teenager wouldn't be doing that if you had these powers? I mean, if you played a good hockey game, you're going to look back at your footage and be like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. kicking ass, right? So just appreciate what they're doing here. And this this scene here, and, you know, specifically because this is very much a Star Wars week. Right. I love this bedroom scene. I don't know if it's if it's Peter's bedroom or if it's his buddy's bedroom. But whomever it is, so there's an ad at in the scene when he's crawling on the roof there. You can see it down below, which yep. is, a, you know, he referenced that directly in Civil War. In the background here, it looks like he's collecting, I think, just by the outlines, vintage Star Wars figures. 
Yeah, definitely more vintage and not like the power of the force. No, eh? there yeah. might be one power of the force in there, but they awesome. do. It looks like there's uh, maybe a sand person in there. There's definitely um, an Adat pilot, an R2 in there. So I love the fact that this our Spider Man here is a Star Wars collector. Yeah, he's a huge Star Wars right. nerd. That's 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 perfect. You know, you I think you, you probably have a lot of those sets oh, right yeah. there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, and awesome. his buddy drops the Lego Death Star. The Lego Death Star. Right? <laughs> I was, when he did that, I was like, oh my god, that probably took forever. <laughs> And then we have the obligatory here in my abs scene. <laughs> yeah, right. Every every origin story yeah. in these Marvel movies have yeah. them, right? I was yeah. thinking about that because I think every single one has it. Like, um, you got Thor in the first Thor walking around with his shirt on, Captain America. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> here's my abs. Yeah, even um, Chris Pratt, I think, in Guardians. Oh, yeah, he yeah, definitely yeah, did. That was in the first trailer there's... for Guardians too. Here's right? my abs. Yeah. I'm Chris Pratt. I used to be fat, but here's my abs. <laughs> And I love how much we're getting Spider-Man low on the ground. He's not really standing and walking around. He's crawling all over the yeah. place, much like the comics, right? That was always my problem with the Sam Raimi trilogy. A lot I, of I web felt swinging. like, yeah, he wasn't really web swinging. He's always kind of walking and standing up. I like to see Spider-Man low on the ground. Yeah, that's that's how he does it, right? In the comics. And Vulture first appearance. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? From being a Spider-Man fanboy and having mm-hmm. a lot of familiarity with the Vulture with his rogues gallery. Yeah. Is this the right direction for this movie, do you think? Because we have, it's it, the tone really shifts in the trailer here, and on purpose, right? Yeah. As they introduce the the Vulture here. What are your thoughts on his look? I appreciate it. I really do like what they did here, because if you were just to go with his, like, original, original look, yeah. it would it'd just be brutal. Um, I thought they were going to go the Falcon route, which would have been pretty easy to do, but they did a little something a little different. They gave him, like, that menacing kind of mask. Yep. It looks like something out of, like, a Tom Clancy video game. But he looks he looks pretty cool. His wings are huge. Yeah, right. It's got the kind of the hover in inside the wing too. It's very different yeah. from Falcon's wings. It, it is. It's completely different. Yeah, and I like how they've incorporated kind of that neck thing into yeah. his like flight suit jacket as well. Right. And I thought that was a cool touch and picking up on elements of the character from his more ridiculous costume yes. days and adding those in. So it has kind of a ultimate universe type vibe to it. Right. A bit, and the mask is pretty cool too. I had to see a bit more of it because that's mm-hmm. the only thing I was kind of like, "Ooh, that looks—it's pretty big." Yeah, it's huge, yeah. isn't it? But that's what Marvel's been doing ever since. Basically, with Iron Man, they take their classic costumes and they just upgrade them slightly yeah. to work in like real time, right? Yeah, this this mask, huge. It's, um, yeah, it's it's a big mask. It's really cool looking though. It's got the kind of the beak to it, yeah, the green eyes, and it makes sense. Like that looks like something you'd be, you know, how much you'd wear if you're flying like a jet. Right. It looks like cause it looks like it's got the oxygen mask in exactly. it. It looks like a jet fighter. Like he's got that. It's always they've added is kind of the goggles to it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Pretty creepy. So this is this is a cool scene here where we have Spider-Man Tom Holland walking down a corridor with Tony Stark, and you can see in the front that they must be in the Avengers training facility because you see the Avengers symbol at the front of the hallway there. Mm-hmm. You got Happy Hogan walking in behind him. He's explaining to him, "Don't worry about Vulture. We've got this." Yeah. And it all comes down to him wanting to prove himself. Which would make sense again for a person of his age, right? Yeah. With all these powers, he had to contain them and wanting to prove himself specifically to a guy like Tony Stark, right? That he's seeing as a mentor, like almost a hero, right? Yeah. And that's always one of the liberties I've liked going uh, further into like Spider-Man as, as we expanded, even in like the the crappy kind of Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, and even the Ultimate lines where you see Spider-Man being trained. I've liked that because the original Spider-Man, he's never really had training. He's kind no. of had to learn himself, and he's had a lot of uh, hard lessons that way. So it's kind of cool that these guys kind of take him in and be like, "This this is how you got to do things around here, right?" Yeah. His suit looks way more finished now too, less CGI. Like, yeah, it does, and the wings too. Yeah, really cool. And there's that brief glimpse that we get of Donald Glover's character. Yes. 
and what looks to be maybe Shocker. At least he's got the arms, like kind of that like yeah. gridded yellow jacket type thing. That's right, because I, I, whenever we, we did see um, set footage of another actor in that kind of costume, yeah. so I wonder how they're going to play that off. Is there a gang of these characters? Maybe? Possibly, yeah. Who knows? But you're right, we did see uh, Donald Glover there, and it looks like he's mingling with the bad guys, Yeah, right? Which maybe proves my theory that he could be the Prowler. I'm hoping so. It seems like they, they really need to go down that path yes. with that character. I think that would, you know, seeding something for the future, too, for this universe. And, yeah. again, leveraging a bit off the Miles Morales universe. Exactly. I love that. And here he is. He's back in his old costume now, right? In this scene here. He looks yeah. like he's fighting. I don't know who he's fighting. Somebody with some kind of powers to send him into a school bus. But he's definitely back in his old gear. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the, fa- the Falcon. <laughs> the Vulture looks looks pretty cool. He's menacing. Yeah, he's going to be a good villain, I think. And Michael Keaton, there's only a few spoken words in the trailer with him. But again, he, he fills that role. He almost looks like what I think an Osborne should be. Yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely not your Uncle Ben. <laughs> no, no. And it doesn't, there's no images really. You get one image of Aunt May here, and I don't think they're going to go down the path of retelling any sort of origin story. I think no. they're going to kind of jump right into it. Maybe Uncle Ben, I guess he's already dead because we, from Civil War. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I'm sure there might be some kind of scene where him and Tony kind of talk, and he might give him the whole, hey, you're not my Uncle Ben, you yeah. know, lay off. Maybe they'll go that route, but nothing major. Do you think that in this universe that Uncle Ben dying was one of the points that spurred him to being Spider-Man? Because that's something that's always been so ingrained with Spider-Man yeah. is that that tragedy of the character, right? Yeah. And do you think that this Peter Parker has that tragedy built into the character? They have to. Yeah. They have to. It's 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 essential. Just like uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents dying, yeah. you, you have to have that. Or like Superman being sent off Krypton to Earth, it's something you have to do. Even in the Ultimate line, they did that. That's something yeah. that never really changed. So, pretty sure they'll do that. But I don't think they'll, like you said, go back that route and tell us the whole origin of no, that. No, I think everyone knows that origin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. And then we had a classic scene here. That this scene kind of reminds me of the Chris Evans, you know, when he's holding the helicopter, yeah, as he's checking his biceps out. But you know, we got the classic Spider-Man with the webs holding. Um, I'm not sure. Looks was like the boat. Oh, the boat. Yeah, yeah the boat, which is cool because we kind of had that in the Sam Raimi's yeah. movie with the the train. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. And then this last scene here, man. Like I watch this, like I said, always do with trailers. Right. I watch them on my phone for the first time. And I damn near leaped out of my seat on the bus when I when I saw Iron Man flying beside a web swinging Spider Man here. It's just incredible, right? Like I didn't think Iron Man was going to be in this movie. No, and they saved him right for the very end. Yeah, like oh. I, I don't know if they're teaming up here to fight the Vulture at the end of the film or what this is. Yeah, this could be right at the start. I don't know, but seeing Iron Man geared up, what looks to be his Civil War armor. Yeah. I'd and say so. bleeding oh, edge, man! I yeah. can't believe that they've done this. Like this blew my brain apart. This scene here. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I, I really hope it goes a little bit longer and we get to see Spider Man kind of riding on the back of Tony Tony Tony. Let's oh. say Tony Hawk, Tony Stark with his web. Kind of, um, you know, it's classic Spider Man and Iron Man team ups, right? Yeah. This this is right out of the comic books. I'm hoping for a yeah a longer fight sequence with these two guys teaming up. Yes. Whether it's the end fight sequence or whether that you need Spider-Man to fight on his own at the end of the film to kind of develop that character, to, yeah. to finish off an arc with Spider-Man. And if this is just at the start where you do have some sort of training or something to that effect, yeah. um, I don't know if you need Iron Man in the climax of this, but yeah. maybe you do. But I'm really happy to see him here. Yeah. Maybe they're just going to Aunt Mays to have some uh, 
pancakes or something. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but this movie looks absolutely fantastic. Like yeah. this, you know, squashes any doubts about Spider-Man and some issues potentially with Sony having, you know, their their hands all over this, their fingerprints into this. This is a pure Marvel Studios film. As yeah, far completely as I agree. And they've confirmed, I think a couple of days ago, we are getting a sequel already, yep. which will take the bad boys four, not three, bad boys four spot in July, Independence Day. So that's July 2019. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So that shows the confidence they have in this property already. That's right. So they got the reception from the first trailer. They've obviously seen a rough cut of this film. They said, look, guys, we need to get another Spider-Man movie into here. Yeah, they so really do. That, and that'll come, that will be phase four, 2019. Wow. So that'll be May 2019 is Avengers 4. And that'll end our Infinity Arc, our Phase 1 through 3, and we'll be jumping into a very different Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point. And that'll be entering Phase 4, sorry? Or leaving Phase 4? That'll be entering into Phase 4. It might even be the first movie in Phase 4. Because oh. the last movie of Phase 3 will be Infinity War Part, or whatever it is, Avengers 4 now, which is May 2019. Awesome. This is July 2019, yeah. Awesome. And if you've been listening to us, you you know we're both hoping for Phase 4, Fantastic Four. Give it to us, Marvel. Yeah. Make that announcement. Come on, Fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. So, we'll see. Exciting times being a comic book fan, being a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, but it's even more exciting being a Star Wars fan. This week, Rogue One, like we said, 48 hours, we're going to be sitting in that. But today we're here to discuss Catalyst, a Rogue One story. This is a book that we've been hyping through yes. multiple podcasts here. We both listened to this on Audible. Yep. The way to go with Star Wars books, as far as I'm concerned. It's, oh, absolutely. It's the only way I have the time to actually get through these books. Yeah, I completely agree. And you get the full name pronunciations as well. Yeah, it, it was an 11-hour commitment. Yeah. But it was... I thoroughly enjoyed this. And one thing I have to, to ask you right here. Do you think people need to read this to enjoy Rogue One? Like, that's maybe that's a wrong way to frame that. But do you think people need this to enhance their experience? Like, is this a must-read? Is this a must-read going into Rogue One? I'm going to have to say no. But if you really want to get some cool Easter eggs, I would say pick it up. I'd say out of any book out there, this is the one to pick up going into any movie. Because all the other books, I love them. And, you know, this isn't even my favorite book of so far what we've gotten in the new canon. But going into the movies, this is a must-have. I'd, would you say this is more of a must-have rather than uh, the young adult books going into Force Awakens? I don't know. Like, this one, I think, at least for me, it's given me a much more of appreciation for the relationships that we're going to see in Rogue One. Yeah. And as we go through this book, I think we're what we're going to try to do here is not really going to review. We're going to talk about some of the highlights of it and some of the stuff that we think is more significant going into Rogue One that you, the listeners, might want to understand a bit better if you haven't had the time to finish the book or read the book or whatever. And I'm going to say right here, full spoilers. We're not going to really kind of walk around this. This is going to be full spoilers for Catalyst. And we're also going to be doing doing a bit of speculating going into Rogue One. So we haven't watched all the trailers or anything like that, and we're not coming at this from any sort of knowledge perspective as far as Rogue One. So please be aware that we're going to be talking about different ideas and things that have spurred these ideas from Catalyst, but in no way have we seen this film, seen many of the trailers, or have any sort of insider knowledge on this. So please don't get upset if we do say something or speculate something, and by chance, probably not, but by chance it does actually happen in the film. So Full spoilers going forward for both Catalyst and Rogue One, but keep in mind we haven't seen Rogue One yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but going into this, yeah, I think this has a lot more impact, maybe even emotionally, mm-hmm. and connection and the relationships between characters that are going to be presented on the screen. 
and that you might not fully understand or grasp the weight of them without reading this book. Okay. And I agree with you. I don't think you need this to go into Catalyst, but I really do think it's going to enhance the experience. Definitely. Yep. You know, particularly from a character development and a character attachment perspective. Yep. This this book, it, it kicks off about a year after Clones. Clones. Yep. And what it also has done for me is, again, we've talked a lot about this with the novels and what they're doing here is that I appreciate a lot more what, go, what happens in the Clone Wars now, right? In yep. Revenge of the Sith because of this book. I see what's going on in the background here. And I now have more of this affinity for these films. Like we're not prequel haters and yep. we'll always, always say that is yep. that we appreciate what prequel movies are, what they did for the universe. Mm-hmm. We recognize that there are flaws in there, but we both really do enjoy them. Yep. And I think what the books, the novels have been doing very well is integrating the prequels and showing that things that happen in the prequels matter for what happened in the OT. So they're doing a really good job connecting up those two sagas, those two big events that are separated by 20 plus years, right? Yeah, because those prequels, you know, they carry a lot of weight. Say what you want about the movies, but as a story, as as a whole, the story of the prequels, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes down. That's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. So th- this, I'd say it's a high recommend, like yeah. just kind of off the top here. And, and it's going to be really difficult to get through 11 hours of book if you haven't read it yet but i would say at least go back and revisit it maybe before your second or third viewing of rogue one maybe give it a couple weeks read this and go back into rogue one with the understanding of these characters and how they connect across here yeah so one thing i want to ask you here i was listening to the tumbling saber podcast awesome shout out this afternoon and they posed a really interesting question are you going to watch a new hope before you watch rogue one the reason i asked that and the reason that they were asking it was that after seeing Rogue One, you're going to see A New Hope differently. The same way after seeing the prequels, it changed your thoughts on Vader a bit going mm-hmm. into the original trilogy. So this movie is going to change how you view the rest of the trilogy forever. This next couple of days might be the last time that you watch A New Hope with a particular mindset and going into it now with Rogue One knowledge, it yeah. may change how you look at things. No, it really does. And uh, yeah, to answer your question, I'm, I'm totally going to watch it. I'm going to yeah. watch it. Uh, we are going to um, the early show, so Thursday. That's yeah. when we're going to go check it out. So by the time this show, um, this podcast here that you're listening to, episode 52, when that drops, we will be going to see Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, but that day of, I'm going to watch episode four on blast. And I, I can't wait, man. Yeah. This is, this is going to be great. I'm going to be looking at every frame pretty much and just dissecting it in my head because oh yeah there's there's so much there and yeah let's get a bit into catalyst here awesome. so this was written by james lacino yes lacino james lacino yes yeah. and he wrote tarkin yes and he's got a fairly deep repertoire when it comes to writing stories he's done a lot of the legends book as well uh, plagueis right he did plagueis yeah. and there's, he's got a whole list of books that he's huge done. yeah and so this dropped about a month ago and it was deemed as kind of the similar to the you know road to the force awakens or whatever it is a prelude to rogue one and mm-hmm. you know we had speculated a bit before it came out exactly what story it was going to tell we knew it was going to be about krennic and urso and their relationship but exactly where it fits in the timeline and it's kind of a bit loose we do know it takes place about an hour about an hour <laughs> about a year after attack of the clones and it's about five to six years i think because Jin is born you know right at the start of the book here oh. and i figure she's about five or six by the time the the book ends yeah i want to say six i yeah. would say yeah born really on th- vault yeah born on vault yeah because yeah. I, I really thought it was going to run directly into rogue one right that's what it, I thought. it really doesn't end there it ends no. you know about six years after because i'm trying to gauge it there is some indication of a timeline we go through revenge of the sith we go through some of the events that happen in the clone wars yeah ahsoka's book yeah and lords of the sith that yeah. all probably takes place during so because uh, a little off topic, actually. Have you read Tarkin? I can't no. remember if you read Tarkin, but I no, believe Tarkin kind of falls 
in between this book too. Yeah. Or a little after. Yeah. So yeah. he's an interesting character. We'll yes. get into that too. But yeah, so it, it really fits into that, that timeline, that end of the Clone Wars into just the early part of the Empire yes. formation. We do see, you know, early days Tarkin, early days Vader Empire, and the, the building of the Imperial Navy here. Yes. And the book, it really does focus in around Galen Erso and Orson Krennic. Those are your two focal points in the book. Yeah. And it's the relationship and the ultimate plan to develop the, this super weapon, mm-hmm. the Death Star Turbo Laser. Yes. How, how, how did you feel about the book focusing in on those two characters as opposed to maybe having a more Jin-centric story set five years before Rogue One? Uh, you know, I really love what they did here because I do believe James Lucino got to work very close with uh, Gareth Edwards yeah. on this uh, during this book, right? So he got to work with the script. He knew about the script for Rogue One. So he's really tight with these characters and it, and it shows because when you're reading this book, Maz Mikkelsen just pops, right? The characteristics of what he does when he's touching his mouth or he's thinking, that's all from movies that we've seen, yeah. this character, and no different than uh, Ben Mendelsohn. So I really like the relationship where they how they focused on these two characters. I think it was safe to stay away from Jin because I'm I'm pretty sure uh, we'll get some comics coming out of Jin. I'm pretty sure we'll see more of Jin, even Agreed. if she doesn't make it out of Rogue One. I'm sure we'll see some stuff with her. So I think right now this is the best time to focus on Krennic and Urso. And Urso, <laughs> I, I hate that too. Man. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good time to focus on this too because we're not going to get much out of them. You, you know, we're basically going to get this book here. And we're going to get Rogue One, and we're not going to see any of those two characters after, I don't think, at least. No, I agree, because it contrasts a bit what they did with the Journey to the Force Awakens book, where they had those three short stories that focused in on Finn, Rey, and Poe that lead directly into the Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And I agree, focusing in on these two characters really benefits the development of this overall concept behind the construction of the special weapons program and this, the Death Star Turbo Laser, because that's really what it's focused in on. It's not the actual construction of the Death Star itself, which yeah. is really cool to see progress throughout this book, but it's really focusing in on the kyber crystals and the energy needed to produce a laser that can destroy a planet like Alderaan right. with a single blast. Yes. Which is good to know because going into this, I didn't know that. I just kind of figured that Urso was the one that created the Death Star. I mean, I did watch Attack of the Clones and you do see the Death Star kind of formed, yeah. but I just kind of got the idea that he was behind it. So it was really good to get some insight that he was tricked into weaponizing yeah, the exactly. energy source of the kyber crystals. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the construction of the Death Star because this is something that for decades everyone's kind of thought about. There was some stuff in the legends, but having been reset here, they're kind of retelling how the Death Star was constructed. And mm-hmm. this idea that you just brought up, that the fact that, and I went back and watched some of the scenes on YouTube today with Poggle the Lesser nice. and these characters and the appearance of the Death Star plans in Attack of the Clones. Right. And they're handed to Dooku, which then are handed to Darsidious, yes. right? And it's interesting that the Death Star began as a construction project for the Republic. Right. And it wasn't a separatist thing. And the really cool thing that I I thought that was strung through here was that, again, you see Palpatine playing both sides here, that he's leveraged the fact that they have these plans, they've stolen these plans, and he's saying, well, if they had this, they must have another battle station that they're building. And it's all this propaganda, this, this, and, you know, Dooku's leaving clues about the fact that they're building a station when they're not actually ever building a station, as far as I'm concerned. That's how yeah, I read it. That's how it. I read it too, yeah. And the fact that they, they've taken this and started constructing. So it, it takes them, like, what, 20 plus years to construct the first Death Star? Something else, right? Yeah. And I really liked, so they, they built this above Genosis. And what's really cool to me is that there's always this idea how much metal would it take to create the Death Star? 
and they start mining asteroids, which I thought was a really cool idea, right? right? And they start to give us a, a size of this. So it's about 120 kilometer diameter. So it's fairly large here. And, but I'm interested how they're going to scale this because 120 kilometers is big for a diameter. But when you look at it, the, our moon is about 3,000 plus Jeez. kilometers in diameter, right? right? And I always got the sense that this was essentially like a moon yeah, itself. So it's, it's not as big because you see it in images. So it, it might just be the proximity to the, the planets that they're yeah. playing with a bit here. But it's not like the size of our moon or anything Yeah, like it that. is a battle station at the yeah. end of the day, right? Going into this, though, it's great because you never really get to see how bad the Republic is. Right, you always just think the separatists, the separatists, they're the yeah. bad guys. But going into this book, you're like, geez, like the Republic does some things that are questionable. Orson believes in the Republic at the time with what he's doing, and it's it's some bad stuff. Yeah. yeah, you can see really the seeds of the Empire building towards the end of the Clone Wars, yes. right? Where they've gotten they've got this grand army now, mm-hmm. and they've really turned into more of a militaristic society yeah. where they've been fighting this war for years now. And you do see those elements surfacing towards the end of this book with guys like Tarkin right. and Krennic and the emperor invader and all that and you do see the the empire really forming out of the ashes of the republic right and it's all a construct of palpatine's plan as well yeah one thing here that's been focused in a lot in the last few books that we've read kyber crystals and this is an element i think a lot of people in the theaters are going to struggle with a bit because you have this this living organic type crystal right that's inside a lightsaber hilt and this is what produces the lightsabers and we did get some depth and understanding from the Ahsoka book, which focused a bit on the Kybers and having the song to them and singing to the and Jedi. They bleed. They bleed the all the, yes. Yep. And so they've really been pointing at that. And they go into a lot of like the crystallography and the petrography of the crystals. And it's, it gets really kind of into the science of it, which I really appreciate because my career I do deal a lot with and my schooling and all that, a lot of that type thing. Yeah. And so it was interesting that they got a lot of that and they hit a lot of that on the head with the science behind it because, yeah, it is a bit confusing and maybe get muddled a bit, but I really like the fact that they did the research to help you understand a bit more. And this is something that they can't really get into in the movie is Mm -hmm. trying to describe what a kyber is and all that. I think what they're going to have to do in the movie is just say, look, this is the thing that we need to produce the laser and that's kind of it. Yeah, I think they kind of need to get away from it now. They've established what the kyber does in these books and in the Soka, but I think they kind of need to just get away from it. It's a little... I'm still trying to get used to the whole the way the kyber works now because yeah. they have changed it from Legends, right? Yeah, so they did have synthetic kybers mm-hmm. in the Legends series and all that, and you do see some of that referenced with Galen trying to create synthetic crystals and yeah. all that because and Galen is a crystallographer. Like his focus is, is on kyber crystals and harnessing the energy and understanding what they can do for sustainable resources. So a lot of this book is based around, like you said earlier, Galen thinking that his work his research is going to produce sustainable energy for parts of the empire for poorer parts of the world Mm -hmm. which again is somewhat of a commentary i think i think we get a little bit of that of our real life commentary on the state of the environment on the state of producing renewable energy Mm -hmm. and so i think some of that is weaved into this story and we do see the appropriation of these legacy worlds for the mining to produce the metals and the ores and that for the Death Star. And we, I think there's some commentary in there that James Lucina is trying to, to say about the current state of our world. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. And now let's let's talk a bit about Krennic here. This is a fantastic villain. He's very Thrawn-like mm. in some aspects. Like, yeah. they've taken cues from that character, I think. Yeah, they really have. Um, they've taken cues from Thrawn, but they've also given him more humanity that he does have flaws and he isn't as high up as we thought he was, at least going into this movie, right? Exactly, because that really shocked me, because he's only got the rank of commander. Yeah. 
um, by the end of this book, and then yep. he's being demoted towards the end of the book as well. And I thought he was yeah way, way up, up here there. in the ranks because yeah. he starts this book not much higher than the characters that we do see in Lost Stars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he's right. he's not that far up the ranks. No, and he does start to appropriate a lot of power within the Empire, which catches the eye of Tarkin, which catches the eye of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. But he's really this master of manipulation, mm-hmm. and the interaction that we do see through a lot of this book, and this is one of my more favorite aspects of the book is how he plays Galen Erso from start to finish. Never forcing him either to do anything, right? No, it is playing the long game. Yes. So it, it took, in the book, it takes Krennic and the Empire a long time to get Galen on board with doing the research that he thinks is for this Project Celestial Power, for this renewable energy. And what they're doing is they're taking his research and then applying it through a different group and weaponizing it, unbeknownst to Galen Erso. Yeah. But Krennic plays a long game with Galen here. He allows the Ursos to become indebted to him by saving them from vaults. They were captured. They were jailed. Yeah. And then he gives him a job, but not directly the job that he wants. And right. kind of plays this long game of chess through all this. And I think this is where this book really will benefit people going into the film is that you understand Krennic a lot better. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this character. and you, you get to see, It's established so well in this book. Yeah, and you do see this this rivalry building between him and Tarkin, which is another great thing. I think we're going to see that in the film. Yeah. Is that his ultimate goal, Krennic's ultimate goal here is he wants to construct the Death Star. He wants to seek the favor of the Empire. But he also wants to govern the Death Star. And he does make mention in the book that this is something that he feels can rival the power of the Emperor and Vader. Vader, I love that call out, yep. And the whole Imperial Navy itself. So he sees this as his pathway to ultimate power. Yeah. Like, so he has much grander visions than just finding the favor of the Emperor or completing this project, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's a much grander vision that he has for himself. And that's one thing that really bothers Tarkin. It really does. And with that, you kind of get a little bit of a, I don't know if it's just me here, a Game of Thrones kind of feel. You know, how he's really playing these characters and how Tarkin's kind of in on it too. Well, not in on it with him, but how Tarkin's not really having it. Because you think, you know, they're all on the Imperial team, so they're all boys and they're all pals, but that's not the case at all. There's no, some bad blood in this uh, in the Imperials. Definitely. And this yeah. seems like this, something that the Emperor has facilitated here is a, this, this competition crawling over your your comrade or whatever yeah. to get to the higher rank. And That's it's a right. lot of this backstabbing and playing each other and finding favor with Masamita is another character that we does pop up here that Krennic finds favor with mm-hmm. and uses his political power to get what he wants in the end, right? right? Even though Masamita, he's basically like your deputy emperor, Krennic kind of goes around him. He tries to. Yeah, yeah he does actually. He does go around him, you're right. And yeah. so you see what extents Krennic is willing to go to to usurp the power that is there right now to find his eventual ultimate power. And I don't think that's something we're going to fully appreciate in the movie is just what he's done, what he's gone through to get to this director status, Mm -hmm. right? Throughout the whole book, there's this other kind of subplot with Krennic, and it has a lot to do with some of the rivalry with Tarkin and that, but it's this Hass Obit character, this smuggler that he continues to use to appropriate some of the underhanded things that he's doing, specifically when it comes to these legacy worlds for mining. And so this Hasselbeck character, like, I really thought he should have been one of the rebels that we're going to eventually see here because he kind of has this sunset ending to the character when we get towards the end of the book where he just kind of walks off. Yeah, yeah, he really does. But he he plays such a big role when it comes to rescuing the Ursulas towards the end of this book. And he's the one that takes him off a vault. Mm -hmm. So he has quite an impact throughout this book and he pops in and out. And he's a character that I'd really like to see on screen, actually. So do you think we're going to get him? In the movie... 
No, I don't think we will. I don't think we'll get him ever in the movie. He, he's an interesting character. I think he could pop up in another book. Maybe we'll see him in the Thrawn book somewhere along the lines doing something. Who knows? But um, yeah, he was an interesting character. And I, I thought he's even more interesting, the, the, the tone of voice they used for this character. Yeah. Like a Keanu Reeves kind of tone. I don't know. Just kind of really chilled, right? Yeah. But he's an interesting character. I, I like how you got to see his full turn from just being a supplier to being the rebellion almost or this, yeah. this young rebellion uh or rebel alliance so that was cool he's, he's great he was good and the ursos this is another particularly galen but we do see a lot of the interaction of lyra urso which is galen's wife she's and we, great we do see Jin coming up as well yeah. throughout the entirety of this book and and galen himself he said captured mad mickelson right there like he's a he's a great character but let's talk quickly about his wife lyra mm-hmm. this is a very interesting character and i'm not even sure if she's in the film yeah, I'm not too sure if she's in the film or not. Um, she's a strong character. She's she's like that the backbone in this relationship. She yeah. she keeps the whole family together basically, right? Because without her, Maz is uh, or or so is breaking down. You yeah, know? she she keeps the whole family together. She's great. Yeah, she is because she's got this. You know, she's a very powerful woman, and you see where they're going to use a lot of her cues in the Jin character, right? Absolutely. So taking yeah. a lot after her mother here. And do you think she's Force-sensitive? Because that's something that she talks about a lot. And we talked about this last, uh, our last episode on Star Wars Rebels Alert, mm-hmm. is that we're seeing Lucasfilm, the writers and all that, explore this idea of this non-binary Force, where it's mm-hmm. not just Sith and Jedi. It is more people that are sensitive to it. You can feel it. And, and she's a lot about the nature of the yeah. Force. And we're getting characters like... The, the night witches that use the force in a different aspect mm-hmm. with Donnie witchcraft. Yen. Donnie Yen using yeah. kind of this church of the force. Yeah. And, uh, and, and sorry, um, what's the other character we see in episode seven uh, right off the bat? Uh, oh, Lawrence Santeca. Lawrence Santeca, right? Yeah. He's also a believer of the force as well. Yeah. Right? So you do see them playing a lot more with these elements of the force. And I, there's a lot of that really heavy handed. I felt at times with, with Lyra referencing the force and feeling it. So she seems at least force sensitive, maybe not so much a force wheeler. Maybe there's right. kind of these, different levels of of force sensitivity here but Mm -hmm. i kept thinking and there's some really offhanded comments where you know they're looking at the kybers and lyra says or Jin says to lyra i want one of those and lyra says maybe someday and so there's all these weird cues i'm thinking like maybe i'm just reading in it into it too much but Mm -hmm. some of the aspects of it is that you know is Jin going to have a slight sensitivity to the force and you know are we going to see the Force play a larger role in Rogue One than maybe we thought when they said there's going to be no Jedi, but they never said there's not going to be any Force played within here. And yeah. Donnie Yen's character, and mm-hmm. you know, at least some of these hints with Lyra Urso and that this Force sensitivity, I think, is going to play at least a, a a subplot or something within that movie. I don't know if it's going to factor into the end of it, but I think there's going to be some elements of the Force really played with a lot heavier than I thought was going to be in Rogue One. Yeah, there might be. I mean, I I definitely feel like they'll they'll do as much Force stuff possible with Don Yen without overdoing it without making yeah. him like a Jedi do I think Jin could be force sensitive or uh, Lyra? Lyra Lyra either or either or right I don't I don't necessarily I don't know if she's necessarily force sensitive I think she just is a believer in the force yeah. you could, you could kind of say like like a yoga instructor if you, <laughs> you will she's she appreciates and, and respects the Jedi for what they are and what they've done because um, I really like her connection with them right how she it's 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 one side of like she she appreciates and understands the Jedi as opposed to Orson, who's very scientific, and he doesn't—he he doesn't really care for the Jedi that much, right? No, and he almost buys into the propaganda of Krennic that the Jedi were evil. Yes, and you do see a lot in that manipulation right. of Galen with Krennic—is that 
the Jedi's were bad for hiding the kyber crystals That's from right. them, right? Exactly. And I thought that was really interesting because one of the comments too is made in reference to the Jedi is that almost immediately after Revenge of the Sith or the end of the Clone Wars, the Jedi's become almost a myth. And yes. that's specifically stated in the book. And because that's interesting, because that's something that we've always thought about. Mm-hmm. When we get to New Hope, it's only been 20, 20 How could years you forget tops. about a millennia worth of Jedi Jedi's and all, temples? Yes. And... and so it looks like the, the Empire just exterminated all knowledge of the Jedi and yeah. made them like this kind of myth status. That's right. And, and that's cool too, because when you look into Lost Stars, you know, there's these textbooks that these kids are reading and yeah. Mace Windu's a traitor, you yeah. know, the, the way everything's been spun and turned around and these Jedis are just, yeah, like you said, myths. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that Krennic is going to kill Lyra? Because I thought for sure the end of the book was going to be Krennic killing Lyra. I thought we were getting there. I even thought maybe even like midway yeah. that scene when he encounters her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when uh, he's kind of like walking with her on the, yeah. Yeah, making those threats and he's he's making comments how he's been watching her from above his building office on the 93rd floor wherever you have you. So um, anyways, I thought he was going to take her out at one point. It's actually refreshing to know that she does live throughout this whole book. So I thought that was good. I think that's going to be one of the plot points here that we do see leveraged in Rogue One is yeah. that because we do see at the end of the book, we do see the, the Ursos taking off. They, they've realized what's going on with Krennic and what his research is being used for, mm-hmm. and they flee. And this is probably where Rogue One's going to pick up somewhat is the, the idea that the Ursos have fled and Krennic has made it his, his you know, I'm going to leave no stone unturned type mission yeah. is to find them because he needs galen to complete this the turbo blazer that he's committed to masamita to the emperor to all these guys right right and i think that he is actually going to kill her at some point here like do you think it's going to be him or he's going to pull some kind of plan that 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 i don't know if it's yeah be actually him but he's definitely going to arrange some sort of because that was always something that he's always trying to separate through this whole book separate Lyra and galen because he thought if galen was on his own he can actually concentrate because there's even a point here in the book where Krennic offers her this archaeological dig to go on for a couple of months to right. separate them, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when Krennic, again, uses this manipulation and really seeds a lot of these ideas in Galen's head where he doesn't have Lyra. She's his sounding board, right? right? She's, even through this whole book, she translates all of his notes mm-hmm. into something that's legible. And so she's the one, she's the rock, like you said, Definitely. of this relationship. And she keeps Galen on the straight and narrow. And I think without her, mm-hmm. that's really where we're going to see his character develop in Rogue One is that she's not going to be around. Jin's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of going to go off the deep end a bit. Kind of yeah. go this mad Oppenheimer type scientist. Like he's really regretting what he's done, even though he didn't directly do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the path they're going to walk with, with Galen here. Yeah, I'd say so too, especially with this being a, a new thing in the Star Wars universe where we have um, a Star Wars story in these anthology films where you can take liberties like flashbacks in these movies now is because Star Wars never really have done flashbacks apart from like the force back or whatever you want to call them flash force I don't know what you call them in episode 7 but um, I think with this movie we'll probably get a flashback to some point after this book yeah. but filling in that gap of how Lyra bites it because I'm sure she, she must yeah, yeah. I definitely definitely yeah and just to wrap this up a little bit here, like I think we should really revisit Catalyst here coming out of Rogue One. There's some aspects that we really didn't get into much depth on, like the Stardust nickname Galen has for Jin. 
my opinion here is that is going to be some sort of plot point within this, whether it's a way she gets into his notes or a way that she identifies Galen is in trouble to some degree. There was just too much pointing out that name Stardust for not to be a significant point in the movie. Again, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but I think there is some significance there. Another thing that we just can briefly touch on here is Sajerera does make an appearance in this. So he does make an appearance in Clone Wars. I did go back and watch the four-episode arc that he is in in the Clone Wars, and then seeing him here in the book, and then again into film media, he's going to be one of these characters that transcends all different types of media from this, the cartoons to the novels to now film. And he does seem to, at least at the end of this novel, have a relationship with the Ursos. He's the one that does eventually take them off of Coruscant and takes them to their new planet where they're going to live out the rest of their lives, apparently, or at least into Rogue One here. And there is a communications card exchange. So I'm guessing that Jin at some point does call on Sajerera. And I think he may have a lot of influence over her. And even to the point where he may have raised her when Galen's either taken away or her mother's killed or something like that. So there's a lot of these aspects I'd like us to revisit coming out of the film. Because I think they're important, but maybe better spoken to when we do have the basis of the movie behind us. And I, I think what we're going to do here is that this book really does justify a revisiting. And so when we're doing our full review, we're going to be pulling in different aspects of this book some of the important pieces and a lot of it might become a bit more clear with some of the things that we thought were significant in the book and they do turn out to be significant in the film or some of these little subtleties that maybe help enhance the experience so we're going to go back through all of that in our review episode next week but all in all fantastic book i know this kind of turned into a bit of us saying our favorite parts here but hopefully there's a little bit of structure there so you guys can understand a bit more of the impactful moments and what we think kind of going into rogue one here as far as the krennic ursal relationship Mm -hmm. and some aspects about tarkin and that but one thing i want to talk about here quickly is who do you think from either the prequels this book Mm -hmm. or the ot we're going to see appear in rogue one here and Again, spoilers, I have no previous knowledge of any of these characters, so I'm just purely speculating, guessing what I think would make most sense in this movie going forward. But who do you think, Troy's under the same <laughs> same rules here, but who do you think is going to be in this film? Like, who's going to make a cameo appearance here? In Rogue One, who's going to make a cameo appearance from yeah. any time before? From, from anywhere just, in Star Wars. From anywhere in Star Wars. Well, I think we'll definitely get a C3. I guess that's kind of the easy way to say, or easy route to go. But I think we'll definitely get a C3PO. I think we might get some kind of cameo of um, Leia, though. Yeah. I think you, I think you have to. You kind of almost have to at the end of the movie. You, you do, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think you'll get something like that. I don't think we'll see an Obi-Wan Kenobi. No. I think we'll see most likely a Leia. I hope they don't throw in a young Han Solo or There's no Solo. need for There's no for need that. to, right? No. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I think we're definitely going to get Masamita. Like, I think, and that was one comment you had made on Twitter a couple Mm -hmm. days ago, and I think that's really a character that we're going to see Mm -hmm. in this film. He he was present in this book, and we've also seen him in the Aftermath book, so he seems to be present right through this timeline That's what you're telling me, yeah. And so it'd be interesting to see him kind of leveraged a bit more in this, and I also definitely think we're going to see Tarkin. Absolutely. Because this rivalry, because at the end of the book, we're left with Tarkin basically overseeing Krennic's operations now. Krennic's been demoted, and we do know from A New Hope that Tarkin is the one that eventually is running the Death Star, is right. governing it, right? That's right. And so I think we're going to see him in this film. As, I don't know how they're going to do it as far as an actor or if they're going to do it digitally or what have you, right. and if it's just going to be a glorified cameo, but I think he's going to be in this film, and I think that it would be a waste if he wasn't. I definitely think so. It, it, it'd feel a little disjointed if yeah. you didn't see him. Yeah. 
What about on the Rebel side? Like, I, I really think we're probably going to see Wedge, Biggs, maybe Porkins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, General Dodana. Like, he's he was the, the commander of Yavin Base. He's got the big, long beard and kind of gives the... Um, the the pre like the what do you call it? the speech before they go and attack the Death Star. Oh, okay, cool. So it'd be interesting to throw some of those characters. And he's actually mentioned in the Y Wing episode of Star Wars Rebels. Oh, okay. Yeah, as, as being part of a, he has his own type Rebel cell. Nice. Um, so it's pretty cool. I think he'll be mentioned maybe potentially, and I think Leia too. Like. I agree. They kind of yeah. have to do that. I think they do. I think that'd be a really nice nod to the fans. And if we could maybe even see just. Just Chopper, just roll through somewhere. I mean, you don't have to give us the whole ghost crew, but if we just see Chopper kind of in the background there, or even his droid, I guess. I mean, who knows? Yeah, because yeah. that's what we talked about again on, on Monday, <laughs> is that uh, there's really good evidence that at least the ghost is in Rogue One, the ship. Uh, who's on it, we don't know. Right. And we talked about maybe we'd like to see a call sign or something, or because they're voice actors, yeah. you know, just maybe we'll get Hera doing something. Oh. Don't know. And I don't know if they'll go that far off. That would be just a simple Easter egg saying, you know, at least the ghost makes it through Rebels. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in this film. And I'm excited to see who pops up in here because, again, this is going to be like just Easter egg candy for us. This is like what we thrive on, right? Is pulling these universes together. And I think going forward, too, we're probably going to see one or two prequel era characters yes tying in the prequels a bit better into this like i think this is a real opportunity to bridge some of that gap some of that divide that they do have this book does a good job and a lot of the novels that we've seen with lords of the sith and all these other characters they're developing a lot of that time frame in between the two and they're doing a really good job of weaving it together Mm -hmm. and i think this book is successful at that and i think this movie can also be successful at that and bridging that gap between revenge of the sith and a new hope. Yeah, I would like to see that because the movies have kind of strayed away from the prequels, right? Yeah. I mean, we've got the one mentioned in episode seven about the clones. Yeah. Uh, that was about it. So uh, one theory, or not even a theory, I'm just, I am have a question. Going off the very first teaser trailer that we did see of Rogue One, we do get that one shot of that figure in the cloak and yeah. the other figure in the tank. Who could that figure be? We still, you know, I, I, I can't wait to see that because, yeah, I don't know. I'm just dying to know. I know it can't be Palpatine because his frame's just a little kind of skinnier and kind yeah. of lankier. I don't know who the man in the cloak. The is. man in the cloak or yeah, woman. Who, who could it be? And the tank in behind as well. Mm-hmm. Like, because I was thinking about this today. Actually, mm-hmm. is that reading Lost Stars and reading this? There's all these. There's, there's always this talk of back to tanks. Yes, that people you know get in once they've been injured. Yeah. Could it be Vader? That's what I'm hoping for, right? Because if he got injured, and that's why his performance is a little weird yeah. in Episode Four. But it's it's tough though. Why would they throw Vader in a back to tank? They've made him into more machine than man, right? So it doesn't yeah. really make sense that he's yeah. in a back to tank because that's, that's for growing back organs and that, right? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, did they do that after going uh, after he went toe to toe with Ahsoka? Did he use a back to tank? We, we, we oh, don't great know. that be to tie that in, right? Oh man, jeez. Oh, so do you think it's Hayden Christensen in that? Like, do you think he'll? I hope so. I, I say give the guy another chance. I don't. I, I think it's so easy for people to blame him for his performance, but yeah. I also think the directing that he got wasn't necessarily the best. He didn't have the best lines to work with. No. So I say give him another shot and let's see what he can do. He's he's actually not that bad of an actor. So I would like to see him have another go at uh, Anakin slash Vader. Yeah. It'd be great to show like they like they did in Rebels where he gets half his mask blown off and you just see his his face oh, there and merge the voices. Yeah, of his voice and uh, James Lloyd Jones. Oh. Yeah. 
It was that was really cool. Incredible, scene. yeah. And it'd be cool to do something like that. I just don't know if we have those those type of characters he's going to go toe to toe with exactly in this because like you need that that made sense when it was Ahsoka he was yeah. up against, mm-hmm. but to have him fight Jin in the same capacity, no. I just don't think it carries the same weight. Yeah, especially when he made Kanan and Ezra look like nothing. Yeah, right. yeah. And speaking of that, actually, what do you think Vader's role is going to be in this film? I think he's going to have his eye on Krennic. Yeah, I think he's probably going to take Krennic out. You know, because after because it, um, Vader and Tarkin clearly have a relationship, yep. they, they seem that's, to be on good terms. Yeah, that's mentioned specifically in, in Catalyst as well. Because exactly. Tarkin references, maybe I should put Vader to task on Krennic. Exactly, and that's exactly what makes me believe that he's going to be the one to pull the gun on Krennic, and maybe even the Emperor himself is kind of like this guy's. You know, this is the last yeah. shot. You know? Well, that that's too is also referenced in, in Catalyst. <laughs> it's the Emperor towards the end, he, Krennic has fallen out of favor of the Emperor, and right. he's specifically tasked Tarkin to watch him. Right, right? Yeah. and so yeah, that's all. Like Krennic has coming out of this book, Krennic is not in the favor of the high ups in the Imperial Navy. Yeah. And in overall command, because he's pissed off Masamita, the Emperor, Tarkin, Vader, like all these characters. Because you have to remember too, coming into New Hope, it's Vader that's chasing the rebels for the plans. Right. And so he's become heavily involved in that project. Yeah, and he is pissed. Yeah, and we do see even coming out the other side of that into the comic books right now and kind of the Vader down and all that whole sequence, he's being punished for the Death Star blowing up. So he's had a very heavy hand in this. He's not just some enforcer that's come in and out of the Death Star program. He's heavily involved in this to the point where the Emperor blames him for the destruction of the Death Star. So I I think there's a lot more connection that we're going to see with Vader and the Death Star, Tarkin, Krennic. Like, I think it's going to be interesting to watch those three people power play throughout this whole movie and have this mm-hmm. rivalry. Because, again, everyone's trying to you know, step on one another to, to find the favor of the Empire to, to get that power. And mm-hmm. controlling the Death Star is the all-powerful thing no, in the universe, it, That's right? true. But, and it's interesting, too, because Vader actually isn't the biggest fan of the Death Star. He's more of a believer of the Force. Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of the Force, right? That's Vader. So he's not the biggest fan of the uh, this battle station. No. Yeah. All in all, though, this book, high recommend for yeah. us here at the Nerd Room. Go check it out. They continue to pump out quality Star Wars literature from Delray Books, from Lucasfilm, from Pablo Hidalgo and the, the crew there. So... Go check this out, you know, before or after, if you want to appreciate some of these characters a bit more. It's not a must-read, but I would say it's a necessity if you are a fan of expanding your Star Wars universe here. Yeah, absolutely agree, man. I mean, uh, James Lucino is, he's one of the greats in, when it comes to Star Wars. He's pretty much up there with Timothy, Timothy Zahn, right? Yeah. So this is a great book. I still have Lords of the Sith at number one, Lost Stars at number two. This sits at a high number three for me, but go out there and check these books out. Great stuff. Yeah, it really fits into the universe that they're building, and mm-hmm. it really has that voice of a Star Wars novel. Yeah, and it will make you appreciate Episode 2 more. Yeah, it right. does. Every single novel that I've read from the Star Wars universe has made me appreciate the prequels and even the OT more and more. Like I, These are something that I hold in very high regard, specifically the OT, mm-hmm. but I find that they're really working hard at making the prequels matter and tying and weaving in aspects that allow you to connect the prequels to the OT, and I really love that aspect, and this book does that very well, too. So, yeah, high recommend from us here. Go check it out. And that, that more or less wraps it up for here for our 52nd year-end 
anniversary episode here. So we're really excited going forward with the Star Wars Commonwealth. Be sure to go check out those guys, starswarscommonwealth.com, SWA Commonwealth on Twitter, and then go grab the other podcasts at the end of the episode here. We'll kind of rank, run through them again. So make sure to go check those guys out this week too because everyone's talking Rogue One. We're, we're trying to get you all ready for this. We're trying to build that hype, get that anticipation level to a fever pitch. And yeah, it's exciting yeah, times in the nerd room. We got a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipe in 2017. And yeah, we're going to have a lot of, you know, we're going to try to get some more guest hosts on here, try to do some more interviews mm-hmm. and talk Star Wars, talk nerd, talk Marvel, DC. You know, we got a lot of movies coming down in 2017 that we're going to be discussing, a lot of comic books. So there's always lots of stuff to talk about here. And we're going to be filling that nerd world news gap for you guys. Absolutely. It doesn't stop there. Send us your uh, comments and your theories, and we'd love to discuss them on the show. Yeah, you can always get us that hashtag, enter the nerd room, email at the nerdrm at gmail.com. So send us your, your questions, whatever, our way. Awesome. All right. Before we take off here, I got one little thing here. Just. Because holiday season and all, I want to get Troy a little oh, one one year present, <laughs> oh, anniversary present. So, oh I was man, kind of wandering through the store this the other day. Yeah, I told you, man, this guy is unreal. Tim holding it down with the Vader ornament. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. I we shot SW Rebels Alert at his place, and he had a wicked Kylo Ren that I was eyeing up and down, mm. and he hit me with my favorite character of all time besides Spider Man, Vader himself. So yeah. thanks, man. That yeah. is huge. Yeah, awesome. happy one year, bro. I got thanks. Excited going forward here. We got a good yeah. thing here, and I hope Courtney didn't buy that for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Courtney. I was dropping hints. I was dropping hints to her. So <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Okay, guys. Until next week, our Rogue One review episode. We're super stoked about this. Hit us up on Twitter. We're going to be throwing pictures down of Prelude to oh, Rogue yeah. One, and the Commonwealth guys are going to be all over this. Everyone's seeing it on Thursday, and yeah, it's it's just a fun community. Get into that. Get in. Participate. Whatever you can do, it's it's going to be a big couple days for Star Wars and a big next week with all the reviews dropping and all that. So make sure to tune in back next week, next Thursday, to hear our review of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Awesome. Keep it locked right here, guys. All right, man. It's been a fantastic year. Looking forward to the year going forward. It's been an absolute sure. pleasure podcasting with you for a year. Absolute pleasure talking about Star Wars and Spider-Man today. Yeah, same here, man. Thanks. It's been a blast. And uh, I appreciate all the time, man, that you guys had me on here. And it's awesome. And again, can't credit you guys enough. It's all you, man. It's it's (laughs) all about the team effort here. Yes. So, All right. Until next week, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and TroyTheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.